five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back in to the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb. And I'm sitting here once again with the man with the plan, Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how you doing today, man? I'm great. I think it's cool how we have a show. It's a show. It's a show. It's not a it's not a podcast. It's not a radio thing. It's a show. It's a big show, sort of like uh, the Oscars. We're a lot like the Oscars, except for a lot more people want to listen to us than want to watch the Oscars nowadays. I don't know if you saw their ratings uh, from this past year, but apparently it didn't go so well. I don't keep up with that stuff. Don't really care one way or the other. I just didn't hear, hear great things about how that turned out. And But I'll tell you this, what did turn out really well was Alabama's game against Miami yesterday. The season opener, Chick-fil-A kickoff game. Um, just, I got to be honest with you, uh, it kind of went how I, ex- I expected, and in other ways, it didn't go how I expected. So we'll kind of just dive right in. We're not going to you know, go through all the hoopla and stuff. Jimmy, what were your initial thoughts on Alabama versus Miami on Saturday? Yeah, uh, surprised but not surprised. Okay, am I surprised that Alabama whipped Miami? Am I surprised it was 44-13? Am I surprised that Bryce was great? Uh, am I surprised that the defense played really well and looked improved? Am I surprised that Miami was overhyped? Uh, I, I wasn't surprised at any of that, especially in retrospect. But no, n- none of that surprises me. The only thing that surprises me, Clint, is just sort of in a macro sense of how in the world can Alabama be this good again? How, how can Nick Saban do it again with a new offensive coordinator and a new quarterback and playing a supposedly competitive team in game one. And Alabama once again, looks like the best team in the country compared to everyone else. Again, somebody said it on one of the morning shows that I watched this morning. It was like, it was like Alabama beat Ohio state to win the national championship last week, 52 to 24. And now it's one week later. And here's the national champs playing, playing again, playing at the same level, playing, and, and it's just the same Alabama team we saw destroy Ohio State. And I'm not surprised. And, and like you said, Clint, we, we sort of expected this. But I'm just surprised that here we are, year 15, and, and it's just another, it's just more joyless murder ball. Well, and, and I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I, the part that I didn't expect – to some degree, I did, and the reason that I did, or the reason I really started to think about it, was because you brought it up last week um, when we were doing the game preview. I thought going in, you know, against Auburn in the Iron Bowl a couple of years ago, you had that big defensive line. You didn't have a lot of depth there. Run them sideline to sideline. You know, a lot of swing passes, a lot of bubbles. Make the defensive line turn and run to the sidelines. Try to get involved with the play, whether they do or they don't. Doesn't matter. Uh, just get them to the sidelines and make them sprint. You know, back and forth, back and forth. Try to wear them down. This game, I thought, you know, with their kind of undersized defensive line, I thought they were going to come out swinging as far as you know trying to establish a, a run game and try to establish an interior run game in particular and just be super physical, get downhill. And Alabama did that throughout the game. Don't get me wrong, and they actually had a lot of success doing it, even though the 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 numbers don't necessarily reflect just how successful the run game actually was from a yards per carry or yards per play standpoint, maybe, but not from, you know, you didn't see any kind of just huge plays out of Brian Robinson Jr. or Jace McClellan, who were the top two running backs. They had some good plays. I wouldn't say either one of them had any great plays or any plays that are going to be, you know, listed on any highlight films, or at least not that I can recall off the top of my head. But from the very first drive of the game, you know, I want to say that you had – on first and 10, um, you know, Alabama elected to – or they lost the toss, but and so they got the football to start the game. They ran the ball on first down with Brian Robinson Jr. From there, it was like five passes in a row 
from Bryce Young. Uh, and, and to me, that that was the part that was kind of shocking. But you said last week you wouldn't be surprised if they went ahead and started just start slinging the football around, kind of establishing that he's they have all the trust in the world in him. They're going to let him sling it around. And it wasn't that I didn't think that they had trust in him. It was more so I just thought with Miami's undersized defensive line, if you're playing for the third and fourth quarter and the game could have potentially have been close, you would want that defensive line to be worn out. And so I thought maybe they would try to just take their will away, kind of go back to being a little bit old school Alabama football and they did that at times but it wasn't kind of out the gate I mean we'll go ahead and start because that's where this whole thing started you got one run from Brian Robinson Jr. and then you got a whole lot of passes from two uh I keep I'm gonna do that a lot to a tongue of Aloha from Bryce Young I mean it, it worked and, and he looked fantastic what were your thoughts on on Bryce Young well I mean there sometimes it takes a while for quarterbacks to earn the confidence of their of their coach, their head coach, the, the the play caller, their quarterback coach. Sometimes it takes a while, a few games, maybe even you play a whole season as a young player, and in the offseason you're told, hey, you know what? Uh, now that you got a year under your belt, we're going to give you more leash. We're going to give you more responsibility. We trust you after a year of watching you do this. I think Bryce is such a unique individual such a uh, you know a check every single box guy except size we'll get to that in a second but he, he i think clint it was like a fast forward process with that i think they already trusted him i i, I think bill o'brien and, and nick saban just trusted bryce and and he was treated like a veteran player who's played a lot or, or someone that they i think bryce has a very bright football mind to go with just being a bright mind in general. I think he's incredibly poised. I think if he wants, if he wanted to, he could be a fantastic coach one day. Uh, it's just in his blood. He's a Saban bot because football is really all he cares about. And they trust him. And I wouldn't be surprised that speech I was just telling you about that sometimes young quarterbacks get after a full year of playing. I think that's almost going to happen this week. I, I wouldn't be surprised, Clint, at all, especially with Mercer coming up, if this is a leash game for Bryce. In other words, Bill O'Brien going, hey, you know what? When, when he comes off the sidelines, like it won't happen to Mercer in the sense that Alabama is going to do what they want against them. But against Florida, even in game three of his first year starting, it's going to be a critical point in the game, and Bryce is going to put on the headset, and he's not going to be told what to do Bill O'Brien's going to say, Bryce, what do you want to do here? Right. And that, that, that doesn't happen for sophomores in their third game on the road in the swamp. But it might happen here because Bryce is that kind of, you know, rare breed. Jalen Hurts always said rare breed. I mean, to some extent, that's Jalen. But to a real extent, it's Bryce. <laughs> he's the rare breed. He, he's got everything but height. And if he was 6'2 and a half or 6'3", there would be absolutely no mystery today, right now, as we speak, who the number one pick in the NFL draft was going to be in April of 2023. It would be over. Only Bryce's size is going to keep that a mystery. Right. And, and I completely agree with you. And that's the fascinating part about his game is, you know, there were times that he was being asked to stay in the pocket, but he doesn't have to. He has the mobility and the um, – the, the dual threat capability to extend plays. He wasn't looking to run. I think he only took off, if I recall, once or twice. And, and I remember one time in particular, I think he picked up like eight yards. I can't first remember. Uh, or Yeah, in a first down. I can't remember a single time that he took off with the football for the, for the remainder of the game. Now, I'm sure there might be one sprinkled in there that I haven't gone back and, and seen. But the point being – when he had to extend plays, not only did he stay cool, calm, and collected, which is such a special trait. This is his first ever start. It's in a neutral side. He doesn't, you know, granted that the crowd, of course, was very pro-Alabama. I thought Miami fans did a pretty good job of, of traveling. I was very impressed. Maybe it was where I was staying as far as the hotel. It was near the airport, and so maybe I just saw a lot of Miami fans. But then going to the stadium, tons of excitement from Miami fans. Didn't last very long, but I will say – I, I saw multiple talking Alabama fans. I overheard conversations, and they they were very. Some of them were very realistic about what was about to happen, and um, you know. The, but there was a lot of energy and a lot of excitement. But the the point being is going back to Bryce. I thought that 
for it being his first start and it not him not having Bryant Denny Stadium to fall back on in his first start. And, you know, Miami's defense, you know, d- did not look that great yesterday. I think they're a little bit better than a lot of people are going to, you know, talk, you know, the way that people are going to talk about them starting today and moving forward until they get some other games to, to kind of get their uh, feet back under them. Bubba Bolden getting suspended in the first half or getting ejected in the first half, I guess you'd say, for the targeting penalty. That was a huge loss for that defense. He's one of the best secondary players that they have. But I just felt like that Bryce brought something to the table, and we've seen it. You know, you know, Tuatunga Valoa has some dual threat ability and can escape the pocket and, and extend plays. He's got a great fill in the pocket as far as sens- sensing pressure, even being a left-handed quarterback and, and pressure coming from his right. He has like a, a, a sixth sense about being able to, uh, you know, identify it or sense it and then escape. You know, Mac Jones had that ability as well to some degree. He's not as fast or as mobile as those other two guys, but he also – you know, was able to to do a great job of, you know, setting himself up in the pocket to have success, you know, moving around a little bit in the pocket. But with Bryce, when he breaks the pocket, the lack of size means nothing because there's no offensive lineman standing in front of him in his field of view. Um, uh, you know, so the, I think you're going to see a lot of that. What's interesting and, and a part of this that I found interesting is that kind of the game plan for Miami because I think Manny Diaz mentioned it. I know one player in particular on Miami's defense mentioned it is their goal was to get Bryce Young on the move and force him to make plays on the move. And I found that to be, and they were, they said they were very surprised at how effective he was at that. Is that not, am I often thinking that that was a very strange strategy? If you looked at him in high school and the fact that he was constantly extending plays, you talk about his lack of height and, and size, if I was Miami, I would want to try to force him to stay in the pocket and beat me for, and which he can do that as well. I'm just saying, compared to, you know, how good he is outside of the pocket, which is equally as effective, but also you eliminate your advantage as far as his lack of size. Was that not a weird, weird strategy to you? Yeah, it was super, super weird. The comments plus how Miami played, uh, it, it, it was all weird. It was almost as if what Bryce did was a complete surprise to them, even though. It was, it was not nowhere close to a complete surprise for any of us Alabama fans that, <laughs> that knew Bryce's game. I mean, he's a he's a rollout guy. They might have probably expected more RPOs. I think that would have been fair to expect. And and they I don't know whether they expected quarterback runs or not. There were zero, there were zero QB runs called in the game, which is interesting. I'll get to that in a second. It's really interesting because Bryce is so good at that. And we didn't really see it except for like, like you, you brought up the one run when things broke down and he saw that he could easily not only uh, get to the first down marker, but he could get out of bounds and, and not absorb a hit. So yeah. I think that that's when they want him to run exactly in that situation. Hey, if you can move the sticks and not get hit, do that. Uh, and, and, and he did, but no, I, I didn't get my Miami acted as if, Bryce's mobility and ability to throw the ball with his feet moving uh, was news to them. Uh, and, and that's just mind boggling that they wouldn't know that about Bryce when we knew it. Now, getting back to Bryce's runs, um, this is just more me thinking on my own, a, a little controversial even, but this may make sense to me. Uh, Bryce with his feet is a hell of a weapon, and it's going to be very difficult for teams to defend some designed runs, some quarterback draws, some, hey, it's third and eight, and I don't like what I see. I'm going to tuck it and turn the field into a punt return and make people miss. Bryce is exactly that kind of athlete, and he can make a lot of plays doing that. I could just tell yesterday, or, or my sense of it was, Clint, that he has been coached out of that, at least for this season. The we don't, we don't, didn't, They didn't call one quarterback run when it's one of the best quivers you know, that, that, that one of the best arrows he's got in the quiver, you know, you know, that might be what he does as good as anything else. They didn't do it once. And it wasn't because they didn't respect Miami. I think they didn't do it because of this. Uh, it's not a lack of confidence in Paul Tyson and Jalen Milrow. I think it's just the recognition that, wow, we, we can win a national championship with Bryce. Things might get dicey without him. And I think it, I think it's uh, Nick Saban, and Bill O'Brien going, you know what? Uh, our defense is pretty good. We'll punt. We'll punt before we see Bryce really get decked 
on on a play that we asked him to run. It's he's going to get hit. There's no way not to get hit. And he got hit yesterday. But in terms of the coaches putting him in a position where you know he's going to get hit, I think they're going to work to avoid that even though it's a hell of a weapon. Now maybe next year, 2022 when uh when Paul Tyson's a year better, when Milrow's a year better, I think maybe they take more chances with with Bryce and 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 use that more and it be a wrinkle because you won't see it this year. But that, I just, there were too many times Bryce could have taken off and he didn't and, and still made a play or, or maybe didn't make a play, but there are many times he didn't. And I think maybe some of our fans got frustrated. I think we have to understand that is by design. That's 100%. by design. It's, it's Bryce. Bryce do not get hit unless it is absolutely necessary because uh, of what Bryce means to this team. Well, I- and what do we see just a couple of years ago? You know, I, I mean, and that's the part that I try to remind Alabama fans of because I, I, I agree. I saw plenty of them upset at the, you know, at a couple of times throughout the game on Twitter at the fact that he wasn't running when they felt like he could. And I completely agree with you. It wasn't that it, I mean, it was obviously wide open. And in those moments, once the coaching staff feels like they can trust Bryce to make the correct decisions, and, and prevent himself from um, absorbing big hits, I think he'll kind of be given the green light to, to take off in those situations. But for right now, the main goal is to keep him healthy. And we saw a quarterback's career be extremely affected at, at, very, at multiple points throughout his career in Tuatunga Valoa for, from taking hits that he didn't need to be taking. There were times where he didn't give up on plays that he needed to be giving up on. And I thought Bryce did a pretty good job of – of uh, giving up on a couple of plays and, and and living to fight another day and not absorbing a big hit when he didn't have to or get you know uh, wrapped up from behind and, and you know who knows what could happen we saw what happened with Tua Tungavaloa and so I think you know when you look at Bryce's frame he's a you know similar height but he's 25 30 pounds lighter you know Tua was up there in the 215 220 um, I think at one point he was even 225 pounds. Bryce is, is 194 pounds, and so that you even less want him taking those kind of hits. And, you know, it, granted, in those big moments, if the game's, you know, super close and him, you know, taking off and running and, and getting that first down means, you know, either a win or a loss, depending on if he gets it or not, I think that you'll see him take off in those moments. But I, and, and there was no situations yesterday where he really needed to. Um, and I think that until the coaching staff really gets a feel for what he's going to do when the lights come on, because what will happen is, is these guys, I mean, you're not taking hits in practice. So, you know, it, it might seem like he's got a good feel for when to run, when to slide, when to do all these various things, and then he gets out there and it's backyard football, and, and then he takes one bad hit and it all changes. And all those Alabama fans who were saying that he needed to take off and run, if he takes off in that moment and he ends up taking a big hit at the end of that run and he ends up getting hurt, they're singing a completely different story. Um, so I just want to remind people that there is a method behind the madness, and there's a reasoning behind a lot of that. And you can tell when he's standing back there and he's got grass in front of him and he's clearly choosing to to stand you know, and, and, and throw the football rather than run it, there's a reason for that. And I think that's a great point by you to bring up, Jimmy. Um, overall, the, fa- the, the performance was fantastic. I, I mean, there was a couple of throws, especially early, you know, that throw to, to Jamison Williams. I'd predicted at the last second when someone had asked me on the message boards who I thought the offensive and defensive MVPs of the game were going to be. Uh, I picked Will Anderson Jr. on defense. I picked Jamison Williams uh, on offense. And, I, you know, first of all, I didn't really take into account, hey, if Jamison Williams has a huge game, it's probably because Bryce Young has a huge game. And he'll also have opportunities to, to spread the wealth. There's plenty of other playmakers. So he'll probably steal the spotlight a little bit. But I thought Jamison Williams was fantastic. But early in the game on the first drive, they, you know, took a deep shot. And, and, and you know, I thought it was kind of a poor adjustment by Jamison Williams. It was a tough ball. That, it wasn't a great ball that was thrown. It was also not a great adjustment by Jamison Williams. But either way, they failed to connect. But from there, things really started to turn around. There was maybe one or two other throws where I said, okay, there was one that was in the end zone. I think he tried to, you know, fit it into Slade Bolden, and I thought that yeah. was a very oh. poor decision. Yes, um, he was surrounded by DBs. Yeah, and so really there was there was a couple. And like I said, I haven't had a chance to go back and dive into the film, and that's something we're going to be doing some mailbag stuff, and I've already been asked a couple of questions, and I'll save those and d- dive back into the film where I can talk about this stuff a little bit more 
you know, sometime early this next week. So bear with me on that. But just off the top of my head, there were a couple of throws that I thought that, you know, he probably shouldn't have made. But Miami didn't capitalize and everything ended up working out. But overall, I would give his performance, you know, an A minus or maybe even an A, not an A plus. But it was, I mean, I guess you, maybe you could even argue an A plus considering it's his first ever career start after having 22 uh, passing attempts the year before. So I was impressed by him. Um, you know, any final thoughts on Bryce before we move on? Because I know that people are probably going to want to hear, you know, some other stuff too. Well, Bryce, certainly my favorite subject is probably going to be for a couple of years. Um, (laughs) I mean, just in the sense that, you know, I love to say because I'm kind of a or think of myself as scouting evaluation guy and I do some of that for QB country and and other things. And and so I, I, I often use the phrase check every box because I know it's a cliche, but it's important. It's real. I mean, that's what you do when you're scouting players. There's boxes and they must be checked for for a guy to be good. Well, I'll also say of some guys that sometimes you don't put a check in the box. You put an A or an A-plus in the box instead of a check. And that's Bryce because his decision-making for such a young player, that's an A, not a check. His poise, an A. His intelligence, an A. His athleticism, his elite feet, an A. His arm talent between his release and the accuracy, an A. Where you don't, where you just check it is maybe arm strength. Yep. It's good. It's adequate. It's fine. It's fine. There is nothing wrong with Bryce's arm strength. It is not a liability. I also wouldn't say it's an A. An A is Josh Allen. You right. Know, uh, that, that, you know, that's not Bryce. It's never going to be Bryce, but that's okay. You don't have to be Josh Allen to be a good passer in the NFL. And secondly, of course, size, which 10 years ago would have been a deal killer. The sad part, Clint, you know, it's a, it's a whole nother day for a whole nother podcast, but the sad part, maybe 15 years ago, this Bryce Young shows up either in high school or college and the coach is like, I'm sorry, you're not going to play quarterback on this team. Yep. And, and before he's ever allowed to throw a ball or say, hey, I want to play quarterback, you're just like, uh, I'm sorry, you're, you play defense, you're a defensive back, look at you. And what a crime. <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, it makes you wonder how many quarterbacks were missed out on, you know, back when yep. that was a, a thing. Um, yep. and, and I mean, Nick Saban did talk about Bryce quite a bit. Uh, he, he had a ton of praise for him, thought that he played really well. You know, he mentioned, you know, a couple of key points. He was talking about him, you know, redirecting protection. I thought that was huge yeah. for a yeah. you know, sophomore quarterback with as little as experience as he had going in. You know, redirecting, uh, you know, protection, talking about him being a veteran presence out there, you know, talked about the mistake as far as the sack fumble, but also made sure to point out because it's true, there wasn't a whole lot of protection there. Now, now Bryce probably could do a much better job of protecting the football in that instance or trying to, but I mean, you know, it's, you're not going to be perfect. And that was just a costly, you know, it wasn't costly on the scoreboard necessarily, but it was costly from a turnover perspective. And you don't want to see that. And that's something that, that Bryce needs to clean up. Um, I don't want to sit here and, and remove all responsibility from his shoulders, but, right. you know, there, there was other factors involved in that. But, that you know, Nick Saban talked about him taking what the defense gave him, you know, being, you know, a very positive presence for the offense, you know, make, making his opportunities, you know, uh, count and, and just had a, had a ton of positive things to say about his, you know, new starting quarterback. And I don't think that was just him, you know, blowing smoke. I think there, anybody that watched that game, and, you know, there's, there's looking at the box score and the statistics, and then there's actually watching the game too. But either way, you come to the same conclusion with this performance from Bryce Young. That's right. That's right. And it, it wasn't perfect. Uh, that's, and that's fine. You know, Nick Saban will be the first to tell you when, when you play really, really well, he has to almost dig for those teaching moments. He wants to be upset. Not that, that that's just his, his preferred mood. It's just that you got to get the team better. We talked about this some too. Gene Stallings said, uh, you know, 100 years ago that he would try to be really hard on the team after, after a win and not so much after a loss. Because if you're hard on the team after a win, that's you trying that, – that the message you're sending is you're trying to make them better players and, and, and be better at their jobs. When you get on them hard after a loss, they feel like they're being punished. You know? so, so the time to get on them is after the wins. And, and I think Nick Saban, without saying that out loud, really understands that. And uh, 
I think it's going to be a pretty brutal week of practice for them, really, because also he's got to keep their attention focused because they're going to be literally 50-point favorites against Mercer. And, uh, you know, no matter how bad Alabama plays or what the lineup is, Alabama's going to beat Mercer next Saturday. Everybody knows that. Mercer knows that. Uh, They're coming to pick up a check. But at the same time, you sort of need them focused because you can't afford your team to fall into a pattern or rhythm of uh, not being focused in games they expect to win by a bunch of points that they need to come out with the same focus every week or might might not be there when you need it. Yeah. And and it's going to be even more difficult this week because, you know, you look at a lot of these other top 10 teams, you know, there for a while, Texas A&M struggled with Kent state. You're talking about Ohio state struggling with Minnesota on Thursday. You're talking about, you know, I understand that Georgia got a huge win over Clemson and, and I don't want to necessarily take anything away from them. But both those two offenses from two top five teams, they put up three points apiece. And I understand that a lot of that has to do with great defensive game planning. I thought Georgia had a fantastic game plan for Uyango Lele. Um, but at the same time, it, it's in today's college football and the way that rules are set up to protect offenses and help offenses, there's no way that you should be you know, scoring three points total and relying on your defense. I mean, Georgia could have left their, their offense on the bus and still won that football game last night. And, you know, you see those two teams and the fact they struggled offensively. You talk about, um, you know, Iowa State. I forget who they struggled with, but I think they, their final score was it was not a great team at all. They barely Northern won. Iowa. Yeah, Northern mm-hmm. Iowa. 116 to 10, I think, was the final score yeah. there. Um, so, I mean, you know, Nick Saban and the coaching staff for Alabama have a challenge because not only did Alabama play a good team, but they absolutely dominated pretty much from start to finish. I mean, I mean, it was from start to finish. I mean, I want to say the first four or five drives, Alabama put up points offensively and defensively. I thought they, they made some major strides. They had a couple of lapses in there. So, uh, But at the same time, the, the defense overall performed fantastically. But now the challenge is you're coming off a big win. You've seen kind of what's happening around the rest of the college football world. You understand that you have Mercer this week. Keeping focus is going to be a challenge. And I, I just I have this feeling, and I hope that I'm not putting this out in the universe and it's my fault because I kind of speak it into existence. But I think that we're not going to get – I thought Nick Saban, you know, following the game, was, was he wasn't energetic, but he seemed very pleased with the performance that he had just witnessed, and rightfully so – but now you're shifting focus. I wouldn't be surprised if the media caught a couple of haymakers this week from Coach Saban just because he's you know, going to make sure that his team understands you cannot take Mercer lightly um, and you cannot take this opportunity to have two weeks, you know, especially this next week, to it's not necessarily about Mercer. Of course, you're going to be worried about them. It's something that's, you know, I leave that up to Nick Saban and the players. You know, from from a coverage standpoint and me talking about it, I can be a little bit more honest. But now, granted, that doesn't mean that if you don't take it seriously, Mercer can't beat you. I mean, the chances are very slim. But anyways, I guess I'm trying to cover my my, my tail and make sure I don't get a, a nasty um, butt-chewing over not taking Mercer seriously enough. But the point being is, is regardless of how you feel about Mercer, this is another opportunity, another week of making or giving yourself opportunities to be a better player on Friday heading into Saturday than you were on Monday coming into the week. And Nick Saban does not want to waste those opportunities. There are still things to work on. Um, you know, so we've talked about Bryce extensively. Let's move on to the pass catchers, the guys who are catching the passes from from Bryce Young. I thought that across the board, John Mechie looked great. Um, you know, Jamison Williams, I thought, I mean, he did what we thought he was going to do. He added a wrinkle as far as his, his ability to, um, you know, take the top off of defenses and outrun guys. You got Cameron Latou, who had a breakout all-star performance. I mean, he only had, I think, you know, he had under 50 receiving yards. But two of them went for touchdowns. The connection with uh, Bryce Young that he's had throughout spring and scrimmages and all that stuff. The touchdown streak continued. I thought he the, the part that not enough people are talking about was him as a blocker, especially early on. I thought he looked fantastic in that regard. And then also the fact that Jaleel Billingsley did not see playing time until you know late in the third quarter. He got in as a kick returner, um, subbed in, and then he got some action you know in the fourth quarter at tight end and. The stuff went viral with Nick Saban talking to him on the sidelines, you know, on TV. Even I think is I don't know if it was his dad or a family member, but I saw some sort of tweet, you know, go, going around from a Billingsley that was talking about how kind of awesome it was to see Coach Saban talking to him. So just react to all that. I know I just hit you with a ton, but you know, Billingsley, yeah. Cameron Latou, the receivers, 
what did you think about those guys? Uh, none of it's surprising based on what we'd seen and heard spring, summer, fall. Uh, JMO is really, really fast. He showed that. He's also got a good skill level to go along with it. I think he's going to be a good pro prospect at some point. Uh, you know, I, I think Mechie is was good, uh, not dominant, but good. And I think Mechie showed that that he's ready to be wide receiver one uh, or at least share it with uh, J-Mo. Uh, he looked healthy, which was really important. Slade Bolden caught more balls, I think, than, than either one of those two did and showed that he is a contributor to the team and, and, and the kind of guy that we need his personality added to the offense. And, of course, Latu is such a – you know, I wasn't surprised I would have been if you'd have told me that in February that, hey, Latu is going to catch two touchdown passes. We can bench Billingsley and we won't miss a beat because Latu is so damn good. Uh, in February, I'd have said, you are crazy. But I saw him in the spring and the fall. And, uh, no, I mean, he, he, he's just a – he's a good football. He's going to be a pro football player. Cam Latu will be an NFL tight end. I'm not saying he's going to be a first-round pick or he's the next Gronk. I'm just saying – Cam Latu is an NFL tight end, uh, and he and he is a equally good at catching the ball and and getting guys blocked, and that's why we can be patient with Billingsley because Latu's got it covered. So, you know, Crazy. I was a little a little surprised that uh, you know we played more receivers than I thought. Now, with the first team, you know, when the game was undecided in the first half, and it really really mattered. It, was the four the four guys we expected and we talked about on our board Mechie, JMO, Bolden, and Jojo Earl. It was those four, and they are our four quote starters or first team guys. But we did see Javon Baker and Treshawn Holden. Uh, I think they even played in the first half, if I remember right. So I would say they're almost co first team guys. And if they played in the first half, Alabama had a very comfortable lead at that point. But we did see Baker and Holden, and then, and then here comes receiver number seven uh, in the second half, and a Jai Hall who caught a ball thrown by Paul Tyson. So he's guy number seven. So we had three receivers who either didn't play or didn't record a catch: uh, Jones Bell, uh, Jacory Brooks, and Christian Leary. So I think we got a real good look, Clint, at the pecking order, and it's kind of what I would call three levels. There's the starters, one, eight. Uh, 18 and 10, and then, then we can use Baker and Holden, and we trust them to an extent. So they're sort of co-first team. And then in garbage time, a Jai Hall can come in and play with Baker and Holden. And, uh, and that's kind of what we're going to see. We'll probably see Jones Bell too, and maybe an extent, uh, an, you know, maybe the red shirt Brooks and Leary, or you're just bringing them along until they can contribute later in the season. But, I think it's just a good look, and it, it's a good group. I came out of the spring worried about wide receiver. It was a legit worry for me, Clint. I thought, I don't know that we're going to be good enough at wide receiver to win championships, but then what happens over the summer? You add Jamison Williams, JoJo Earl shows up a badass. So that solved it. It solved it. That, that means we didn't have one and a half. Now we have three and a half, and, 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 and the freshmen behind them can grow up some and help. So – I think those summer additions, I think it's Jamison Williams and JoJo Earl that made the group uh, more dangerous and with and with solid depth. And with Cameron Latou, uh, first of all, I agree. The fact that, you know, the reason that he's going to be an NFL tight end and, and a pretty darn good one is the fact that he showed has shown some blocking chops and the fact that he's proved to be a, a great receiver. He's got great hands. Nick Saban talked about, you know, the fact that he he had good hands was a major reason why they decided to switch him from being an outside linebacker to a tight end. Thought he already had the size. He's 6'5", 250. He had the athleticism. He had played it in high school. He had fantastic hands, which he had displayed in high school. And so it was a natural kind of fit to, to make that move because Nick Saban felt like that was his best opportunity to get on the field. But his ability after the catch – is the part that you know we, we've talked, we've heard about his um, his talent as far as catching touchdown passes and the scrimmages uh, from Bryce Young. He kind of had that streak going there for a while. We saw in the A day game him you know create after the catch and score a long touchdown. But then last night or yesterday uh, afternoon, we saw him catch a pass 
he was able to, you know, uh, break a couple of tackles and stiff arm the guys he went into the or right before he went into the end zone. Just his ability to create after the catch and be a problem after the catch, I think, is a very valuable part of because of, you you'll have those reliable catching tight ends. You throw it to him, you know he's going to catch the football if it's in his vicinity. You know he's going to you know be a good blocker and all those things, but then you know you know that wherever you throw him the football, that's pretty much where the play is going to end. You know he's going to catch it, but that's about all. With Cameron Latou, he's a threat that if if you know a defense it and tackling well, he's going to make him pay for it, and he's going to create you know turn a a twelve or thirteen yard gain into a twenty or thirty or forty yard gain, and he's going to score some touchdowns doing it. And so I think that's huge for the offense. It's something that I kind of wondered, uh, you know, because Jaleel Billingsley can do a lot of that too. And so I think that if, if Billingsley can ever get to a point where he's back in the coach's good graces, which I think this was the message that he needed. Um, I don't know if he knew this going in, that it was going to be like this, but I thought that just the way that any, everything transpired, um, you know, whatever message Nick Saban was sending, which we kind of had an idea of what it was, it has been received, that I can assure you. But also the fact that we saw Nick Saban talking to him on the sidelines and it seemed like he was trying to, you know, encourage him in that moment and, and try to get his head screwed on straight. If they can get Jaleel Billingsley back from last year, especially, you know, the second half of last season last year to go along with Cameron Latou, easily one of the best tight end duos in all of college football. And it very well could be the best. Um, and then you start mixing in when you got those two reliable pass catchers who can do a lot of different things. Plus, you got John Mechie, who I thought I think Mechie was was really good yesterday. And the reason that I say that he was really good is early on, I thought he made some tough contested catches. I thought he was playing physical. I thought he had a lot of energy and was a tone setter. And then it seemed like that Miami started to, you know, acknowledge him as a, the the threat that he is. Um, and then they started giving him a little bit more attention. And it's like Nick Saban said with Bryce Young and his performance, Bryce did a great job of taking what the defense gave him. And I think over the course of that game at various points, they kind of started trying to take John Mechie away as a true threat. And that allowed other guys to have some opportunities. And, and those guys certainly took advantage. But that's what has made Alabama so difficult to defend offensively the last several years is that, you know, when, when Tua Tungvaloa learned going from his sophomore year to his junior year to take what the defense gave him, um, you know, it, it – it was an all-star performance as far as the growth because what he was being given because Alabama had so many playmakers was a, a Devontae Smith. And, you know, so you still had whoever the defense was having to leave, you know, uncovered or as far as double coverage or extra attention and all that stuff, it was still an all-star performer. It looks like Bryce Young is not only learning how to do that, but also the players that he's going to have at his disposal. There's so many of them. He's going to continue to have, options that are being given to him that he's going to be able to exploit and take advantage of. And so I think a lot of Alabama fans, any concerns with the offense going into this game, I think they've been alleviated quite a bit. But my big question mark, and it's something I wanted to get your thoughts on, the offensive line. What do you think about those guys? Well, it was the question mark uh, for me coming into the fall. Very little in fall camp made me feel a lot better about it. As a matter of fact, I was probably – feeling about as bad as I could about it up until kickoff in terms of I, I, I would have said, and I'll still maintain this. I, I think Alabama will go as far as the offensive line will take it in the sense that it, it is the unit that's the question mark. And to me, it's still a question mark. I can't give the unit an A for how they performed yesterday, although I would give them a B, which is good because I was worried it would be a D, <laughs> but, but it was a B. Uh, I think the last minute juggling was smart and helpful and ultimately is what's going to lead this to being a good unit. I, I like Dalcourt at center because it is truly his natural spot. This is where he has practiced from day one at Alabama. Largely he has practiced some at guard, but he has been primarily a center with a lot of potential that just hadn't played. And now he's played and I think he's he's good at snapping the ball. Chris had a little issue with that late in camp. And I, I think Dalcourt at center and Cohen and Ekior at guard and certainly Evan Neal at left tackle. I will be surprised, Clint, if those four aren't also the starters uh, in November, assuming good health. I'm still not convinced Chris Owens is the long-term answer at right tackle. Uh, 
I think Chris did okay yesterday, did fine. It's not his natural position. You know, he's probably at his best at guard, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, he's okay, and he's certainly experienced, and he, he did a good enough job yesterday. My hope in terms of, you know, having the best possible five guys on the field, I hope that by November maybe J.C. Latham has proven ready to play because he's a guy that might be a right tackle or even a left tackle not just at Alabama, but in the NFL. I mean, he's got that sort of upside and ability. So, you know, I, I thought they didn't get their ass whipped or anything like that. I, I don't think it was a situation where our guys aren't very good and they were on their back because they got beat up. But I think because they hadn't practiced together very much or really at all as a group, uh, there was some confusion. And, and I think some guys got through that were unblocked and sometimes they did get beat. There were there were occasions where where a few of them took turns getting beat a little bit here and there. And uh, this is the unit that has to improve. This is the unit that has to get better. And uh, it 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 remains in my mind, Clint, the only personnel question mark on the team to me is the offensive line. I'm right there with you. Um, you know, the, and. Granted, I don't think the, the running backs did a great job in pass protection from what I saw the first run through. Maybe I go back and watch, um, and, and I realize, man, the running backs did great. But it just seemed like there were a few times where both Brian Robinson Jr. and Jace McClellan struggled in pass protection. I trust both of their ability to be able to get that job done. I just think it was kind of, you know, it was a rough game. It's not something that's concerning for me right now. But the offensive line, as far as you know, their protection, I thought certain guys did better with run blocking. I thought that uh, Darian Dalcourt was a lot better in pass protection than he was in in, in run blocking. Um, I saw him miss a couple of run blocks, um, but you know, I think overall it's going to be a good group. I, I just think I, that you're right in that it's going to take some time, and and the offensive line that we're going to be seeing in week six, seven, and eight is going to be vastly different than the one that we're going to see in weeks one, two, and three. What's interesting about that is, you know, you go to the swamp in week three, and and that'll be something, you know, kind of a preview for what could potentially be ahead. That's going to be something I'm going to be looking into a lot as far as Florida up front defensively, front seven. You know, I'm going to go and watch, go ahead and start watching some of their tape um, and see what I can find out over these next couple of weeks as far as what they're going to be providing from that standpoint. But that's certainly the biggest question mark for this team. And it's not that they don't have a good offensive line. I think anybody would agree that they have a, a quality offensive line and they've got a ton of talent. It's just when you compare that to where it seems like the pass catchers are at, where the run game is at, which the offensive line contributes to, which you're talking about the stable of running backs. I think Alabama proved, which, you know, something that we all knew, which was that they can go for, maybe even potentially five deep if they needed to, but we know they have at least four quality running backs in the roster who are going to be able to handle whatever touches that you give them. You've got a great passing game. You've got good tight ends. It's a matter of that offensive line. And so I think that's an excellent point. Um, but, uh, you know, at the same time, I think that this is about as encouraging of an offensive performance as you could have possibly have asked considering all the different question marks. And that's something that, you know, last year, why I couldn't get behind LSU with them replacing quarterback and running back and, and, and top receivers and, and several members of that Joe Moore award winning offensive line and, and coaches, you know, Dave Aranda left and, you know, defensive players, key defensive players. I just kept telling people, which, you know, they didn't take a rocket science to figure this out, but even if they replace 80% of that production, that 20% that they're not able to adequately replace can make a drastic difference on the success or failure of your football team. And so, you know, Alabama having all these question marks, we, we knew going in offensively, we knew they had talent. We knew they had um, the, the, you know, they were capable of being a very good offense, but we weren't sure there were way too many questions to sit there and say, okay, I think they're going to be flawless going in. And it seems like the, a lot of the questions got answered. The one that didn't was the offensive line and how good can they possibly be? We know they're good. Like I said, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying, are they a Joe Moore award-winning offensive line or caliber offensive line? That's something that we still don't know. And 
like you've reiterated at multiple points on this show just in the last couple of weeks, the the offensive line that we're going to see at the end of the season is not even remotely the same, probably, as what we're going to see at the beginning. So, um, you know, any final thoughts on the offense to, uh, as far as what we saw against Miami? No, no. But, um, again, I, it, it sounds wishy-washy. I don't intend it that way at all. I'm, I'm surprised that they were able to put together 44 points and only punt twice. Uh, I'm surprised. And then I look at the, those kit, the specific kids we put on the field and I'm not surprised at all that Bryce and B Rob and Jace and J Mo and Mechie and Latu and Evan Neal and Ekior. I'm not, of course, I'm not surprised. They're good players. Of course I'm not, but, uh, but 44, against what was last year a top 15 defense and returned nine or 10 starters and added the Georgia transfer. You got to be kidding me, man. And we were better on offense. And, and, and for all the people that go, how could you not expect that? I know it's just so easy to think Alabama is the same team every week that beat the crap out of Ohio State in the national championship game. But last year in the opener with Matt Jones and Devontae Smith and Waddle and all those guys, Alabama wasn't as good as they were yesterday. That's a fact. We played, we beat up a better defense yesterday than we did in the opener a year ago with all those dudes. Yep. I completely agree. And, and then there's another aspect to this. Um, of course, you know, I'll go ahead and, and bring up Will Rogers, you know, continues to be clutch, uh, you know, three for three on field goals along a 51. The longer he goes without missing a field goal, the more pressure there's probably going to be. And yet he continues to respond. And at some point, you know, I just personally, I doubt he makes it through the entire, a, a second consecutive season without missing a field goal. It, it's not what I'm looking for though. The pressure that he continues to have on him. And, and as far as making big kicks and stuff, I mean, that's something that he maybe hadn't faced, but just, you know, the, the everybody knows when a pitcher's making it deep into a game and they've got a no, no going, the pressure starts to mount because whether people are talking about it or acknowledging it or, you know, or, or not, it's there and the pitcher knows it and he understands it. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's for all the gamers out there. It's like when you're playing, you know, call of duty or something, and you're one of the last five people in the match, you know, the pressure at that point is a lot worse or a lot more than it is when you've got a hundred people still, you know, still running around trying to, you know, win the game. So the point being is, he continues to respond from that aspect, and I respect that. I want to acknowledge his performance on special teams. Punting is something that needs to be, you know, uh, it's still a work in progress, but I, I think that we're both fairly confident in what they could potentially do there. But defensively is the part that, you know, everybody knew that Alabama was going to have a good defense going in this year, or they really felt like they were going to. But it's also the, the side of the football that over the last couple of years, you've seen, you know, um, defenses for Alabama the last couple of years fall sh- kind of short of expectations, at least according to the fans. You've seen Pete Golding get completely reamed. Um, you know, so it, I think it's an important topic to talk about defensively. I thought they were fantastic. I mean, there was a couple of lapses, like I said, especially early in the second half. I really thought that Miami was going to start getting something going offensively. But even in that moment, you get a key goal on stand on a fourth and goal from Will Anderson Jr. Um, continued to be, be a, an effective playmaker, both against the run and getting after the quarterback. But, you know, what did you think about the defense? And also, you know, kind of react to all those injuries that Alabama had um, as far as, you know, potentially losing Christopher Allen for the entire season. You had a Henry Toe Toe suffer some sort of elbow injury. And then Brian Branch, I, I wasn't sure exactly what his was. It seemed like it was cramps, but I, I wasn't entirely sure. But just – it seemed like they had a couple of major hits defensively. Um, but so what, what did you think about the performance and what did you think about those injuries and how do you think that can affect Alabama moving forward? Well, I mean, in terms of like a letter grade, um, I would say no worse than a B plus and, and probably more deserving of an A minus holding Miami to 13 points. That's three scores. That means they, they only scored three times uh, on, on three of their possessions. Two of those were field goals. I thought the fourth and, and goal, the fourth and one play was just awesome. It was maybe my favorite play the whole game uh, in terms of it showed a lot of – there was a lot of Nick Saban in that. There was a lot of 
hey, we don't care what the score is. We are not letting you score easily. And, 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 and that was very physical and old school Alabama. I thought that was awesome. Generally played really well with Will Anderson. I mean, what's the uh, Herm Edwards line? You know, he is what he is what we thought he is. I mean, that, that, he's just – I mean, I'm not trading him for anybody. I, I love watching other games and watching other teams play, and I'm quick to compliment other dudes that play for other teams. But I, And Kayvon Thibodeau is likely to be the first pick in the draft next April if unless a quarterback emerges. But I am not trading Will Anderson for anyone. I, I'm not, and I know there's, I know there's dudes on other teams. Hell, Georgia's got eight of them. They, they, you know, Adam Anderson for them is a, is a heck of a player. But Will Anderson, I thought, proved that he is ready to prove to everyone out there that he is the best defensive player in college football. He was great. Christian Harris was great. Defensive line did really well. Shout out to Phil Mathis, who I thought played a really Good game. Mathis was very disruptive uh, in, in his snaps. The defensive backs as a whole played well. Uh, I'm not going to give that unit an A because I think they can play even better. Yeah, they did play well. There, there were some good things there. But I, I think they can be even better. There's probably a few things they won't back. But overall, uh, really good. A great start considering, I mean, how many offenses are we going to play better than Miami? I, now, I realize Miami's not great. But I don't know. Emory Jones really struggled as a quarterback, uh, you know, last night for Florida. I'm just not sure how many offenses Alabama is going to see substantially better than Miami's. So in that sense, it was a uh, in that sense, it, w- it, w- it was good stuff. The injury to Chris Allen, definitely the biggest bummer. We're so deep at outside linebacker. I, was, I feel worse for the kid than I do for Alabama. I think with Drew Sanders and Chris Braswell, Alabama may not even miss a beat. And I say that knowing that Chris Allen is a pro football player and was going to be drafted pretty high in this next draft until that injury. I feel worse for Chris. I think the interesting thing is he has another year of eligibility he could use if he wants. Uh, Missing the season, he's now going to have a very, very tough decision. I hope he sits down with smart people uh, to figure this out in terms of staying or going. Yeah, it was uh, it was a huge bummer to see him get injured because it was right after that huge sack. I mean, he had just shown his importance to the defense, which he has done at multiple points throughout his entire career. But he's dealt with injuries at at various points. You know, a lot of them were early on in his career. Um, but it's just it's it's unfortunate because you really felt like he was kind of I wouldn't say he was necessarily Robin to Will Anderson's Batman, but. They were a pretty dynamic duo, and the fact that you were giving so much attention, you know, opposing offenses were having to give so much attention to Will Anderson Jr., it presented a lot of opportunities for Christopher Allen. What you knew is that he was going to take advantage of those opportunities, and, and I, I I agree with you that I think that Chris Braswell and Drew Sanders, I mean, I thought it was pretty, you know, telling that Nick Saban specifically mentioned that Drew Sanders had been working in with the starters and that all three of those guys had been rotating all throughout fall camp and stuff, I found that to be really interesting. You know, we had talked about how some of those talented, you know, uh, outside linebackers deserve more opportunities, but how in the world do you take uh, Will Anderson Jr. or Christopher Allen off the field? And apparently it's something that the coaching staff felt very comfortable with because Drew Sanders had been working his way in. That just tells you that, you know, they expected him to have a bigger role. That hadn't necessarily shown up to the point of of, uh, Christopher Allen getting hurt. But we saw him come in. I thought he played pretty well. We saw Chris Braswell in some, you know, situational third down uh, plays and, you know, mixed results there. But I certainly think he's got a lot of ability as far as being a pass rusher. And then, you know, so it's, it is very unfortunate for him. But for Alabama, you know, the defense in general, I was extremely impressed that the, the box score doesn't reflect. I feel like they were a little bit better early on in, in third down situations. Um, you know, they were able to get off the field early on and really help the offense that is going to continue to be pretty good create a gap. And I think as long as they can continue to be good, especially early on on third downs and, and defensively in general, then, you know, you can rely on the offense to, to do their job and, and you start creating situations in games where Alabama is able to establish a lot of early leads 
and puts a lot of pressure on the opposing team's offense, and that could allow the defense. You know, that means that when they're in kind of two-minute offense trying to score every time they touch the football, you're going to give up some big plays and some frustrating plays. But the fact that you were able to get the job done early in the game and create that gap that you needed, you know, I think that's very important. Um, and so that's something that was interesting. One, one thing that I thought was noteworthy and I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to pull up the uh, the the snap counts right now and see if I can figure it out. Yeah, um, there were two guys that I th thought would have played a lot more that didn't. And so I want to get your reaction to that. And that's Tim Smith. He only got three snaps last night or yesterday. Cooley McKinstry only got four. You know, I made that bold prediction that Alabama would have. You know, two freshmen would score touchdowns. I was wrong on that account. No freshman scored a touchdown, at least not that I remember or recall. But one of those kind of bold – what made it so bold to me was predicting, hey, I think that Kool-Aid McKinstry's got a lot of playmaking ability. You know, I think that Alabama's defense can force, you know, De'Eric King into a, you know, tough situation. Maybe a guy like Kool-Aid McKinstry could be on the receiving end of that get an interception, return it for a touchdown. Not only did that not happen, and which is fine because that's a really bold prediction, but Kool-Aid McKinstry played four snaps last night. So was that – or yesterday, was that surprising to you at all? Um, yes and no. Here, here's why it's surprising. I'm with you on the talent, on Tim Smith and Kool-Aid. They're both extremely gifted guys, future pro football players, future critical players at Alabama. Uh, so – and I think they are good. I don't think either one has been anything approaching disappointing as far as Nick Saban or the coaching staff is concerned. So in that sense, it was surprising. What's not surprising is this. Uh, Saban doesn't play a lot of players. He doesn't play a lot of players. And the first team plays and the first team and guys that normally and regularly play with the first team, they play in the games and they play the snaps until Coach Saban declares that the game is over and the garbage time guys can go in. So in that sense, it's not a surprise because Nick, Nick's not uh, – it's, it's against his personality. It's against what he has always done to say, well, Jalen Armour Davis is a starter, but I like this Kool-Aid guy, so I'm going to play him some snaps, you know, and we'll sit Jalen Armour Davis on some series. That, that is not how Nick Saban has ever, ever at Alabama approached it, so we shouldn't be surprised he didn't change. Yeah, and and I'll say this, I can kind of understand why. Because I thought Jalen Armour Davis, at least the first time through, I thought he performed pretty well. I, I'm not going to get yeah. the guy an A-plus or anything, but, I mean, he played the most snaps of any defensive back. I mean, he only out-snapped Josh Joe by one, but he played the most snaps. Um, you know, I think he was only off the field for, you know, um, a hand, maybe a couple of plays that didn't, you know, that meant something uh, before the game had completely gotten out of hand. And I thought, you know, he gave up a couple of uh, catches. That's going to happen. I mean, you're playing cornerback in a pass-happy college football world nowadays. But I thought that he also made some plays. He had a couple of pass breakups. I thought he, you know, did a good job on, on a couple of plays that come to mind um, as far as his coverage ability. We'll have to go in and, and kind of see what I can as far as the, the, the TV version. Um, I'm hoping that I can get my hands on some All-22. I've been able to in the past that – well has run dry i'm hoping i can get that uh, so i can watch the defensive backs a lot more than i would be able to on a tv version but um i, I thought that he played you know pretty well seeing it live um and you know we'll kind of just have to see where it goes from there but I, i'm hoping that kool-aid mckinstry can continue to get involved in the mix a little bit more i'm hoping that tim smith because tim smith's the kind of the, the the big one you know, a lot of people were expecting him, you know, going into year two, oozing with talent. What people need to understand, though, is that Alabama is returning a ton of very experienced guys defensively. So not only is it Tim Smith um, getting more experienced himself, he's got to stand out enough from a pure talent standpoint and doing his job consistently from that standpoint to be able to overtake somebody who is more seasoned than him, that's earned the opportunity more than him, he's got to set himself apart. And we've seen what that means. That's difficult to do. I mean, I think anybody that watched a couple of years ago that quarterback battle, Tua Tungvaloa was a better option than Jalen Hurts. But, you know, because of the, the veteran, you know, senior status, Tua had not done enough to, you know, completely take Jalen Hurts' job. Um, and that's something – it's the, a very similar situation where – 
Tim Smith's got to step up and prove he's far and away the best option to for, for Nick Saban to give him the opportunity to take a starting job. But it's not really about that. It's about just getting involved in the rotation and only seeing three snaps. Maybe that'll change in the future. Um, you know, I don't know. But as far as the, the hype that he's kind of produced this offseason, which I've been driving that bus all offseason since last year, really, it just, at least in, in game one, week one, we didn't really see it. So I, I thought that was, uh, you know, something to, to at least note. Um, and I think that's pretty much it for me. I, I thought maybe it was a little bit surprising that Brian Branch ended up being the starting star and, and Malachi Moore was, you know, the starting safety next to Jordan Battle. We knew that Brian Branch was capable of playing star. In fact, that's why they decided to do it. They they felt like that Malachi Moore moving him to safety and letting Brian Branch play a position that he's more comfortable with was the right move. But I think we, we you know we all predicted to go the opposite way, and so that's something that I guess is noteworthy as well. That's pretty much all I got defensively. Um, there's not not a whole lot that I can really say outside of the fact that the pass rush was as advertised. It's going to continue to be you know great. The, the off-ball linebackers, I thought, you know, none of them, you know, Christian Harris made a couple of splash plays. Henry Toto, you know, you can tell his talent. He's able to get sideline to sideline. But just based off of, of what was presented, there wasn't anybody that stepped up and really took hold of, you know, um, at least to get our attention enough to be able to talk about it on this show. So we'll continue to talk more about that as, as we get into this next week in Mercer and we're all expecting more players to play um, because it's Mercer. We'll, you know, certainly not going to bring that up to Nick Saban, but Jimmy, is there anything else at all that maybe, you know, you'd like to talk about before we hop off here? No, a great point uh, that you made about uh, branch at star and Malachi at safety. That was a last second surprise in the sense that, uh, we hadn't talked about it much, and we didn't have a lot of foreshadowing of that. In retrospect, we shouldn't be surprised. But what we really need to watch for there, and this is big, and this could be maybe the story of the Mercer game, at least to nerds like us who, who pay attention to all this stuff to this level. But what happens when Helms comes back? If Helms comes back and he's at safety, and you know Jordan Battle's out there, is Branch going to stay at star, or is Malachi getting a spot back? Has Branch passed? Malachi at the star spot, which would be 50% shocking and 50%. Well, we told y'all branch was good. I mean, uh, you know, so I think that's really going to be fun to watch this week. Assuming Helms is back is how is that going to shake out? But Hey, the problem is when you don't have enough good players, it's never a problem when you have too many feelings get hurt, but, uh, but the win loss record does not. So, Great performance by Golding and his guys in game one, uh, holding Miami to about 266 yards, only 13 points. The fourth and one play was fantastic. Losing Chris Allen, definitely the biggest blow of the whole day. But again, as we pointed out, it's worse for the kid than it is for the team. And as far as Kool-Aid and guys like that or Tim Smith getting frustrated, you know who was probably frustrated one week ago that he wasn't getting to play a lot of snaps? Drew Sanders, who's now – a starting outside linebacker at Alabama for the next 11 games, assuming good health for him. So never know when, when your opportunities come advantage of it, when it's handed to you. Absolutely. And I mean, there are a lot of guys like that and that's why it's great to have the depth. You know, we, we talk so much about, well, you know, Alabama's super deep at running back and they're super deep, you know, at off ball linebacker and they're super deep as far as their edge rushers are concerned. Well, um, you know, and, and the question becomes, hey, how do you get all those guys on the field? Well, because football is football and it's a very physical sport, you see guys get banged up and some of those guys get lost for the year, you know, i.e. potentially Christopher Allen and now Drew Sanders, who is a guy who we felt like deserved to get more opportunities. He's going to certainly get those opportunities. And now Chris Braswell, who we felt like deserved more opportunities, he's probably going to get those opportunities. And you talk about Henry Toto and you say, well, Jalen Moody, you know, he, he gave so much to the program and you know, he, uh, he, he kind of deserves to be out on the field. Well, he comes up with a huge interception because Henry Toto gets banged up. He's on the sidelines. He's got an elbow injury. We don't know how long that's going to last. And Jalen Moody made the most of his opportunities, which you love and respect. But it's not just a matter of how do you get these guys all on the field together. It's having that depth is so valuable 
because of situations like we saw yesterday with several guys getting banged up. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a good problem to have for Alabama and those guys that they'll one way or the other, a lot of them will end up getting the playing time that they want, uh, at some point. So yeah, absolutely. Great performance from Alabama, especially when you compare that to a lot of these other top teams, um, on Saturday or on Thursday, uh, who maybe didn't live up to expectations or who didn't look great. Alabama has automatically reasserted themselves. They were already ranked number one, according to a lot of these polls, but a lot of people felt like Oklahoma was a better football team. You know, I've even mentioned that I felt kind of that way as well in some ways, as far as known commodities. Georgia, same situation. I don't think anybody right now coming out of yesterday's games feels like Oklahoma, who almost lost to Tulane, 40 to 35, or Georgia, are a better football team right right now than Alabama. And so, you know, if that's the statement you're trying to make, if you are Alabama, you've made it. Now it's Mercer week. You do everything you can to get better and, you know, try to get out of Saturday with a big t- victory without any injuries. We'll talk more about that and kind of what to expect in a later podcast this week. And then you kind of move on to the rest of your schedule. But this has been fun, Jimmy. I appreciate you hopping on here with me. We're going to be doing some more stuff. You know, we got a mailbag coming up this week. We're going to be talking about Mercer. We're going to give you kind of a preview of that. Is it going to be as in-depth maybe as the Miami stuff? Probably not because it's, you know, we're going to be talking a lot more about Alabama and what Alabama needs to be doing to improve or or position themselves to have success against Florida. Um, And then, you know, we'll also be doing some other stuff as well. So, you know, stick around, uh, be on the lookout for that stuff. If you haven't already, Go, you know, share, like, subscribe, whatever you need to do. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, we're, we're kind of everywhere. Um, or we're trying to get everywhere right now, and hopefully that happens soon. And then if you haven't already, go subscribe to, you know, uh, you know, to On3, get On3 Plus, only $10 for the entire first year. I felt like that Jimmy did a great job as far as providing content on the message boards both leading up to the game and during the game and after the game. As far as his analysis is concerned, I tried to throw up some stuff um, both before, during, and after, and Nikki's been killing the recruiting game as always. So definitely go sign up for that. It's absolutely worth it. Jimmy, I appreciate you hopping on here with me today, brother. Oh, man, it's uh, fun stuff, especially after a big win. I hate that, you know, we're probably going to have to let the Nick Saban era pass us by before we truly appreciate what we're seeing week to week, but Alabama a little like the best team in the country again, but there's a long way to go. And uh, like I said, on the message board, uh, don't make too much of week one. If you, if if you, if you want to make too much of Alabama, that's fine because there's a, there's a 14 year track record there. Yeah. Alabama's probably (laughs) really, really good. Yeah. You can, that assumption you can make, but don't assume too much about, the Oklahoma and Georgia's and Ohio State's and the other more mortal teams. Uh, week one can be weird. Uh, well, of course, we in, at least we made it to the podcast, but Jimmy's stuff ended up cutting out right there at the end. Um, I guess it's it's the world's way or the, the universe's way of telling us that we've run this podcast way too long, which I knew that we would do. You get Jimmy and I talking about this stuff back and forth, and we have fun with it. We want to – break down everything that we possibly can for for Alabama fans who want to listen in or anybody else that wants to listen in. Um, but, you know, I appreciate Jimmy hopping on here with me. I appreciate all you guys hopping on and listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. This has been a lot of fun so far. We're just getting started. We're getting the process down and, you know, how we want to share content, when we want to share content. But one of the big things that I felt was very important was to get this stuff to you guys as soon as possible. We're recording this on Sunday. It's going to go out first thing Monday morning. Um, and, and then, of course, we're going to continue to roll from there. Expect a lot more content, whether it be from the, the Bama on three show or from, you know, the, the website, um, BCS Alabama. Once again, appreciate you guys tuning in. This has been a lot of fun. This is Clint Lamb, and you're listening to the Bama on three show. <laughs> <laughs>